Kenzie Lambert here, your host for Mac and the Movies, where we look at everything from art house to grindhouse, mainstream to obscure, the forgotten and the unforgettable. I hope you are all enjoying your Labor Day weekend in America. I know the UK had their banking holiday last week, and I hope they were able to, you know, chill out for a bit. This week, we continue our journey through Volume 2 of the Grindhouse Experience from Fortune 5 DVD. The films this week, I have to say, were a weak bunch compared to last week. A middling reaction would be a nice way to put it, which means 42nd Street audiences would not have gone for these films. We had a pair of post-apocalyptic films with Stryker and the Atlantis Interceptors. We also had a pair of Sword and Sandal films with Carthage and Flames and Coriolanus, Hero Without a Country. Let's just get right into them. post-apocalypse. Water is the pivotal commodity for this wasteland. Della is trying to get help for the survivors' camp and protect them from the evil forces of Cardus. With the help of Troon, Della can keep her people safe. To ensure the success of the mission, Della calls upon the solitary vigilante, Stryker. The world of Stryker features its share of common post-apocalyptic tropes, an evil warlord, an anti-hero lead, a camp in need of a rare resource to survive. There's a band of Amazonian warriors, usually post-apocalyptic films that are trying to capitalize on the success of other films have their charm. Look at the offerings from directors like Enzo G. Castellari with the 1990 Bronx Warriors and Bruno Matai with Rats, Knights of Terror. Violent set pieces or moments of absurdity made these films memorable. Yet, these moments are non-existent in Stryker. The violence in action is minimal. The lack of TNA would have had audiences booing the movie out of the theater. This is not a film that would have lasted long on 42nd Street. The people wouldn't have had the patience for it. Oddly enough, Roger Corman's New World Pictures distributed the film. What did Corman see in this movie that I didn't? 
Despite being filmed in the Philippines, Stryker manages to maintain a geographical ambiguity. This film could be set anywhere, which ends up giving the film a higher production value. The film does, however, take elements from other films. Mad Max, Star Wars, Cardis being a dead ringer for Sid Haig. However, there are bits that other films would lift from this one. The muscle car with the skull on the hood would later be used by Quentin Tarantino for his film Death Proof. Della is the precursor to Furiosa as she is the only one willing to take initiative to save her people. There is a clan of desert dwarves that immediately reminded me of the dings from Spaceballs, which came out seven years after this film. One could easily say the dings were a play on the Jawas, but they are closer to mannerisms and personality to these characters in Stryker. Director Sirio H. Santiago and writer Howard Cohen made the most out of the location and limited budget, even though the story and action leave much to be desired. Steve Sander plays Stryker, family man turned vigilante after the death of his wife. Sander would make appearances on television shows like Hunter, The A-Team, and Knight Rider. Sadly, Andrea Savio would have a short career with films like Death Screams and Death Chase. Former pro wrestler Mike Lane plays the villainous Curtis. Lane had roles on The Outer Limits, the original version, as well as the Adam West Batman series. William Ostrander plays Bandit, the reluctant assistant to Stryker. You can see him in John Carpenter's Christine and Mulholland Drive from David Lynch. This is not a film that can be enjoyed. I wasn't able to find enough for me to recommend this film. Stryker is one of the weaker post-apocalyptic films I've seen and one of the lower entries of the Grindhouse Experience Volume 2. Skip this one. Caribbean, a group of scientists are trying to raise a Russian nuclear submarine. They mess up and end up bringing the lost civilization of Atlantis uh, in the process. The people on board the outpost evacuate as a tidal wave approaches. A pair of soldiers, Mike and Mohammed, rescue members of the outpost. When they reach the mainland, they find that the area is under attack by a group of punk raiders. Mike, Muhammad, and the others must survive the wave of raiders under the leadership of Crystal Skull. In 1983, the post-apocalyptic trend was still running wild in Italy. In that year alone, you had Endgame, Bronx Lata Finale, Your Hunter from the Future, 2019, After the Fall of New York, Escape from the Bronx, and Warriors of the Wasteland. What makes the Atlantis Interceptors different is that it takes place in present day with elements of the post-apocalypse as invaders. This is not a futuristic dystopia, which I'm sure made things easier for director Ruggiero Deodato. The film does have its moments, certainly better than I remember it when I saw it previously. There is a sick decapitation, the threads of the Atlantean raiders is eye-catching, There are sparse moments of action, but enough to keep the 42nd Street audience satiated. The violence and gore need to be consistent. The Atlantis Interceptors does offer too little too often. 
Filming primarily took place in the Philippines, home of the likes of Eddie Romero and Sirio H. Santiago. Directors through the whole spectrum, from Francis Ford Coppola to Bruno Matai, have used the cheap cinematic real estate of the Philippines to shoot movies. Some establishing shots were taken in Miami, Florida. Blending the two together was seamless thanks to the editing expertise of Vincenzo Tomasi. The crew features a number of familiar faces. Ruggiero Diodato offers a lighter experience compared to one of his previous offerings on our program, Cannibal Holocaust. Gino De Rossi handles the makeup effects. Tomasi returns as editor. Maurizio and Guido DeAngelis provide the music score under their pseudonym, Oliver Onions. At this point, the musical siblings are going for the synth-heavy sound a la Your Hunter from the Future, as opposed to their funk rock sounds for the Palizio Teshi of Enzo G. Castellari. Yet, their music doesn't pop or stand out. Christopher Connolly plays Mike, one of the soldiers that helps the outpost crew. Connolly went back and forth between American television and Italian film. He appeared on Fantasy Island, Simon and Simon, Airwolf, Ironside, Barnaby Jones, and Mannix. In between U.S. gigs, he worked on Lucio Fulci's Manhattan Baby, Castellari's 1990 The Bronx Warriors, and this film, Atlantis Interceptors. Giola Scola was Dr. Kathy Rollins, one of the survivors of the outpost. She had a decent career, but her only other role of note was in the Fulci fantasy film Conquest. Tony King makes another appearance, having been previously seen in Bucktown with Fred the Hammer Williamson and Cannibal Apocalypse with John Saxon. As Muhammad, he plays a good guy and manages to avoid the annoying trope of the black guy dying. Oh, I guess spoiler alert. Between Connolly and King, King is the one clearly having a good time with this goofy post-apocalypse romp. I'm surprised to see Mike Monty actually get a credit for his two to three minutes of screen time. This guy was the Italian cinema equivalent to Richard Carina. He was always the guy sending the hero off on the missions. Here he plays a guy who was one of the first victims of the Atlantean Raiders. His wife gets a dart to the neck and then he dies off screen shortly after. Michel Sauvy plays one of the outpost survivors. He went on to become an Italian horror luminary thanks to directing the existential horror comedy Cemetery Man. He was also the guy that got his brains ripped up by his zombie girlfriend after she vomits up her guts in Fulci's City of the Living Dead. Atlanta's Interceptors is a meager offering from Diodato, who has done films that are more violent and shocking in nature. There's a decent cast of Italian genre cinema regulars. Not the most memorable music by Guido and Maurizio. Uh, Far from the worst in the box set so far, but far from the best. Wars were a series of three wars that raged between the Romans and the Phoenician state of Carthage. They happened between 264 BC and 146 BC. At this point in history, they were the biggest wars ever raged. The film is heavy on the melodrama. Two soldiers are in love with the same woman. Two women are in love with the same man. 
There were a few set pieces of battle between the Romans and Carthage, but the violence is very tame and would not have impressed the grindhouse audiences. Sword and sandal films were not associated with the theaters of 42nd Street. You hear about spaghetti westerns, horror films, and action films, but the only films related to gladiators and death sports would be the dystopian exploitation films, like the new gladiators from Lucio Fulci. Carthage in Flames wouldn't last long when it comes to the base sensibilities of the Grindhouse audience. This film, in context of the Grindhouse Experience box set, it feels like it was thrown in the collection to take up space. Fortune 5 DVD had the distribution rights to Carthage in Flames, and they threw it in the box set to add a sense of quantity, but sacrifice quality. It has the same issues as other films already seen in the box set. It's a blatant VHS to DVD transfer. I'm not familiar with the other films from director Carmine Gallone or most of the cast and crew. Future director Duccio Tassadio was on the writing crew for Carthage in Flames. We looked at his film, Three Tough Guys, in the previous collection for the Grindhouse Experience. Tassario would later direct Alain Delon in the thriller, No Way Out, and, as previously mentioned, Three Tough Guys with Isaac Hayes and Fred the Hammer Williamson. Keep an eye out for a young Terrence Hill in the role of Soar. Alright, that's really all I have to say about this film. Let's move on to the next. on Gaius Marcius, the Roman general of legend who led the legion to victory after the siege of Corioli, a city held by the Italian tribe of Volsi. It was after that battle that he was bestowed upon the name Coriolanus. He was a hero of the people, yet he was the target of political enemies, eventually having to be sent out on exile. Coriolanus, Hero Without a Country, a.k.a. Thunder of Battle, is another film that feels like it was one that Fortune 5 had access to and slapped it on this collection, despite the fact that it has no place being connected to the grindhouse environment. It is a sword and sandals film with a lot of talking and minimal action. I know this has been the case with a few films in both this collection and the previous collection, but many of those films had an edge, be a Blazing Magnum, Mean Frank and Crazy Tony, or Three Tough Guys. Director Giorgio Ferroni alternated between spaghetti westerns and sword and sandal films. Blood for a Silver Dollar and For a Few Extra Dollars are examples. Secret Agent Super Dragon marked the rare spy movie for Ferroni. Carlo Rusticelli handled the music, which didn't stand out. We've heard his music previously in the Spencer and Hill films Ace High and Boot Hill. He also worked on the Lucio Fulci adaptation of White Fang and the Joe D'Amato Conan knockoff The Blade Master, a.k.a. Cave Dwellers. Lead actor Gordon Scott played the title character. He was very wooden in his delivery of dialogue and in his posture. Scott got his big break playing Tarzan before finishing his career in Italian sword and sandal films. Keep an eye out for a few bit parts. Sal Borghese appears as Adetto Tullio. 
Borghese was prominently featured in the Castellari Poliziotesci, The Big Racket. We also have a Nello Pazzafini appearance. You know what that means. I'm the best looking man in the Middle Ages. My, my, my. Between Carthage and Flames and Coriolanus, Hero Without a Country, feeling out of place on this box set, these films just don't belong on here. These are as bad as The Bounty Man from Volume 1, which, if you can recall, was a made-for-TV movie that would never have seen the light of day in a grindhouse theater. This will definitely impact their ranking in the collection. And that unfortunately wraps up this part of the Grindhouse Experience Volume 2. I'm sorry for the short episode, but just these films did not leave much of an impression on me, and I can say that they probably won't mean much to you. Let's just go into the ratings. Number 8, we still have Mr. Death Man. Number 7, Slavers. Number 6, Coriolanus, Hero Without a Country. 5, Carthage in Flames. 4, Striker. 3, The Atlantis Interceptors, 2, Three Men to Kill, and still at number 1, Blazing Magnum. Next time I make the movies, we look at another pair of double billings. Uh, these seem to be more promising. There's two war films, The Dirty Two and The Sinai Commandos. There are also two action films, Renegade and Highway Racer. This will drop on Monday, the 16th of September. If you like this program and want to help it grow, a one-time donation to PayPal will be greatly appreciated. You can find me on Twitter and Facebook. Feel free to send me questions through my Gmail account. All of that in the description. Until next time, this is Mackenzie Lambert for Making the Movies. Take care, everyone. Mm-hmm.